Fixing the U.S. Olympic Committee. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Around the Rings Radio. I'm Ed Hula. For the better part of two years now, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee has been dealing with the aftermath of the USA Gymnastics sexual abuse scandal. The specifics of the scandal, how it happened, who was involved, have been the subject of reports from the U.S. Congress as well as an independent inquiry funded by the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. In July, another report resulting from the sex abuse scandal was published, commissioned again by the USOPC. The big difference, a long list of recommendations for change, meant to apply to all the sports covered by the U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee, and while intended to prevent future instances of athlete abuse, the report of the Borders Commission addresses the overall issues faced by athletes with their welfare, as well as their ability to be a part of the decision-making and governance of Olympic sport in the U.S. The Borders Commission, as it's known, was chaired by Lisa Borders. She's the former president of the Women's National Basketball Association, a former executive with Coca-Cola, former vice mayor of the city of Atlanta, and past president of the Atlanta City Council. Still an Atlanta resident, she joins us today from the Around the Rings headquarters in Atlanta. Thanks very much for joining us today, Lisa Borders. Ed, terrific to be with you. You spent nine months working on this report. Uh, it's a pretty substantial commitment of, of time for you and the eight or nine other members of, of the group. And what we see is really, from my experience, the most comprehensive set of recommendations for change that's ever been tossed the way of the U.S. Olympic Committee. Um, were you expecting what you did to come up with to be so far-reaching, to be so extensive? Well, actually, yes, and it's a privilege to be with you and Sheila today, Ed, so thank you so much for having me and for highlighting the work of the Borders Commission. There were nine members, eight others, and myself had the privilege of leading this work and delving deep into not only the present-day crisis, but even stepping back and looking strategically at the organization where there were opportunities for improvement. So yes, I did expect a very comprehensive and hopefully compelling result of our nine months of effort. Uh, it not only has specific recommendations, we actually shared a timeline as well for date certain when we hoped that the individual recommendations would actually be completed. So it is one of the most comprehensive studies, I think, and series of recommendations that have ever been offered to USOPC in its 40-year history. Uh, have you looked at any of the past reports or uh, uh, investigations, inquiries that have been made into the U.S. Olympic Committee? Absolutely. Not only did I look at them, the entire commission spent what we call phase one. This work was done in four phases, and the first phase was actually I would call it a level set where each of us had the opportunity to read previous reports and previous commission documents, congressional reports. Uh, it was an opportunity for us all to come at this work with the same level of understanding and depth of knowledge. Before we started on a new project, we needed to understand what had happened in the past what was broken, what was working, and so we spent a significant amount of time at the beginning of the project really trying to understand. 
These, the, you had a clue, clued in panel, though. They were yes. well experienced. They know about the U.S. Olympic Committee. They're athletes. They're yeah. people who've been to the games. Yes, it was a very diverse group. So there were current athletes. There were retired athletes. So there were Olympians and Paralympians on the panel. There was a large NGB representative, a small NGB representative. There were three independent voices like my own who are in the sports industry or have deep knowledge of the sports industry and the U.S. sports model, but who did not serve, for example, on the USOPC board. We were an independent panel. We were chartered by the USOPC, but we had complete independence and a very broad set of objectives that we were to tackle. There were three. Number one, it was to look at the relationship that USOPC had with its athletes. What is the relationship today? How can it be improved? How could it be supported? That was number one. Number two, the national governing bodies. What's the relationship today? How could it be improved? How should they support and oversee the NGBs? And then third was what structure needed to be in place or what needed to be changed to enhance or enable whatever the recommendations came out for number one and number two. So a very broad charter, purposefully done. You found, though, a lot wrong with the U.S. Olympic Committee. Uh, we found lots of opportunities. The, the, starting with the relationship with, with athletes, because I think maybe one of the most important points that you considered there. Were, were you surprised at, at, at the number of issues that seem to be developed have developed between athletes and the U.S. Olympic Committee? Well, having worked in all three sectors, Ed, and having worked for over 40 years myself as an executive, I'm not surprised by much. And what ends up happening, I think, in any organization is if you are inattentive every day to what's going on, things devolve very quickly. And I often say to folks when I'm giving presentations, if you didn't clean your gutters for five years, they would rot and fall off your house. It doesn't mean you're a bad person, but it does mean you were inattentive to cleaning your gutters on a regular basis. The same thing could be said for relationships. They take work every single day, whether it's you and me or a team of people or an organization like USOPC and its primary constituency group, the athletes. So it was unfortunate, but the good news was USOPC recognized that they had a problem and said, come and help us fix it. You guys go off and study and figure it out. The number one issue, of course, was the relationship with the athletes. And so if people never remember the name of the commission, if they don't remember when it was held and how long it took, I would ask them to remember one word, athlete-centric. Everything should revolve around the athletes. They should be the central figure in all decisions that are made and all considerations that are undertaken. An organization like the U.S. Olympic Committee should be able to do that without a, a second thought, without being told you need to be athlete-centric. What were they centered around, if not the athlete? I think the notion of a corporate model where they were much more interested at over time in making sure that they had the money 
to spend on not only the athletes but on the operations of the organization. So they got distracted by the business and lost focus on their primary constituency group. It happens often in corporate America. You see folks lose sight of their target audience and they have to rebrand themselves and reposition themselves. It happens every day. That's why consultants make a ton of money, Ed, and have lots of consistent work. It's not an excuse. It's an explanation that over time, if you are not very deliberate and very focused, you very easily get distracted and lose your way. Not out of bad intention, just from being unfocused on your primary concerns. How did you how did you come to this conclusion that revenue generation, winning medals was more important than taking care of the athletes? You had people come talk to you about this, testify? Sure. I mentioned we had four phases of our work. The first was the level set and everyone getting educated. The second was bringing our own ideas. Each of the folks that were on the Borders Commission brought ideas about what needed to be changed. The third phase was actually talking to people and trying to test those ideas, validate or invalidate what we were thinking, as well as get new ideas and new insights from those who were the most vocal critics of the USOPC, those who were currently competing, those who had retired, those who had worked formally at USOPC. We had a nice array of people. We invited some 73 people to come and talk with us. And out of that 73, 62 of them did in fact speak with us. Each of the categories were broken out between athletes, Paralympians, uh, the NGB representatives, and folks who had worked at USOPC. We tried to make sure that we had a nice, broad, diverse group of people. In every one of those categories, for example, women were at least 34% of those that we spoke to, with the exception of USOPC, because historically it's been men. So there was only a 24% representation there. But for example, of the 63 people that we spoke to, 11 were para-Olympians, six of them men, five of them women. So we were very, very deliberate and precise about not only who we talked to, but the groups that they represented so we could get a nice, broad perspective on what was going on with the organization. And this inquiry, your commission, was created as a result of what was going on at USA Gymnastics. Correct. But your brief, the the work that you did, encompasses far more than just what happened with a single national governing body. You are exactly correct, Ed. And actually, that is one of the distinguishing characteristics also of the Borders Commission, is that we didn't just talk about the acute issue of today. We looked strategically at the organization and said, what are the changes that could be made, whether it's by the bylaws or through the Ted Stevens Act amendments, what are the things that would make this organization sustainable for the long term and have it be more effective and more efficient? So the mandate was broad on purpose and we embraced it and completely leaned in and said, okay, let's dig in and do the work, which is why it took nine months. It's like birth and a baby. Almost. Um, is it, uh, you know, is, is, is it fair to say that other 
national governing bodies have the same problems as USA Gymnastics or a situation that could result in the same sort of thing that happened with USA Gymnastics? It is fair to say that the problem is more pervasive than we all originally expected. We thought everything was just in one NGB, one national governing body in gymnastics, and we found, particularly talking with athletes, that there are problems in other NGBs as well. And so one of the recommendations you might have seen, there were five big ones, uh, but one of them specifically, the second one, talks about certifying national governing bodies and having a certain set of performance indicators that you need to hit as an organization, professionalize these groups, ensure that they have athlete panels and that athletes are 20% of the panel so that there's good representation there and your focus stays right on the athlete. But we also said in that recommendation, USOPC, not only should you oversee the NGBs, you've got to support them better. They now have more compliance requirements than they've ever had before. They need some financial help. They need some governance help. They need operational help. You are the mothership, for lack of a better term. So you should support them and you should oversee them. And that oversight requires that they, everybody understand what the performance indicators are. So it needs to be a transparent set of certification requirements. The U.S. Olympic Committee is trying now to work with USA Gymnastics. It called for the board there to resign. Um, other steps have been taken directed at, at changing uh, USA Gymnastics. Um, but is, is, is that all that can be done? Did, was the U.S. Olympic Committee empowered at that? Now is it empowered to take action against USA Gymnastics? I guess what I'm saying is there seems to be some confusion, some ambiguity about whether the U.S. Olympic Committee actually has any control over these national governing bodies? It's a great question. What we would tell you from the Borders Commission after our research, there is significant what we would term implicit power in the Ted Stevens Act today. Our recommendation in recommendation number five was to add explicit power to the Ted Stevens Act, which gave gives or will give explicit authority to the USOPC to oversee and direct the behavior of the national governing bodies. So historically, it is my understanding that there's been a very narrow reading of the Ted Stevens Act and the USOPC has not always exerted what we feel today is the authority that's in the act. And so we said to them, listen, you have a lot of authority here already. Some of it is implicit we would recommend that Congress add explicit power so there is absolutely no confusion, that there is very definite clarity on what you can and cannot do. So for example, they can decertify a national governing body. Very simply, Ed, how do you decertify if you never certified? Today they recognize NGBs and we said that's an informal process you need to certify them and they need to have to reach that bar of performance on a regular and consistent basis. You need to audit that performance. The third recommendation was to get a chief compliance officer who would be the person having broad and primary authority to ensure that things like the NGB performance levels are met. 
So when you think about this organization, there are some things that were already in place, but they have not been formalized or they have not been professionalized. And we said, okay, cut it out. You're big boys and girls now. You've been at this for 40 years, which is still a relatively short period of time. 25 years is a generation. So this is only a generation and a half old, but it's time to rethink how you operate on a regular basis. The, the people who came to talk to you, many of them wanted to be confidential. They did. Um, why is that? What the interviewees told us is there was a lack of trust of the NGBs, of the USOPC. Whether it was warranted or not was not in our purview to go figure that out. We had to accept at face value that many of the athletes and some of the uh, folks who had worked at the NGBs or at USOPC in previous lives felt uncomfortable sharing their names. We initially had planned to have as one of the appendices a list of the names of all of the people we talked to and their affiliation and where they work today. And we actually scrapped that because we recognized we heard this so much and so often that it would be counterproductive. Uh, is that an indictment or some does it make a statement about the culture at the U.S. Olympic Committee? It affirms that there needs to be some very deep work done on the culture at USOPC. And so one of the organizational behavioral recommendations was that they do a culture assessment and that they work on diversity and that they work on their listening skills. So let me back up for a second because I've jumped around a little bit in terms of the recommendations. The first recommendation is to prioritize athletes. That's the athlete-centric piece. The second was national governing body support and oversight that I spoke of. The third is the chief compliance officer to hire that person and give them broad and primary authority to set the rules and make sure that the organization follows them. The USOPC, NGBs, athletes, everybody, right? That recommendation also encompasses things like the whistleblower policy, which exists today but needs to be augmented and enhanced. The chief compliance officer would have that responsibility as well. The fourth was about organizational behavior, which is where you have the cultural assessment, where you look at the diversity of the staff, not just the leadership team, but the entire staff. And then finally, the fifth recommendation was about the Ted Stevens Act and the amendments that needed to be made and congressional oversight. So we try to really think through what are the elements that, that enabled the bad behavior of sexual abuse? How do you fix that? And then how do you strategically position this organization and these amazing athletes, Olympians and Paralympians, potential Olympians and potential Paralympians to be successful not only while they compete, but during their entire life? We have been, as a country, very much celebrating our athletes when they win. I'm not sure we have taken as good a care of them, and I don't just mean USOPC. I mean all of us as Americans. We really sort of use them and walk away. We've got to do better. So there's recommendations in terms of athlete-centric, supporting athletes not only while they're training and while they're competing, but even after they retire. We call for things like better health care, better mental health care. Well, the, your, your report refers to athletes who retire 
who go into bouts of depression consider suicide. It's a, it's a tough time That's right. for them. And, they're, and, and currently they're not covered by U.S. Olympic Committee health insurance. Yeah, there are lots of different reasons for that, I suppose. But what we recommended is that they overhaul the healthcare system and they rethink how they offer care. Everyone might not need the exact same healthcare, but everybody needs some degree of healthcare. And we were able to isolate that mental health was a far bigger problem than any of us anticipated. If there was any surprise for me personally, it was that mental health jumped out at us over and over and over again. And what it made me think about was folks in the military who come home and attempt to transition to civilian life, and many of them go into bouts of depression, women first among equals. So I really think this is not an isolated problem to athletes and Olympic and Paralympic athletes, but we had a clear issue in that area, and so we wanted to call it out, and we did. Um, moving to the involvement of athletes in the decision-making yes. at the U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee, um, very striking recommendations to increase the number of athletes who are members of the board of directors, who are working at the U.S. Olympic Committee. Right. Um, how, how important is that going to be moving forward? I think it is one of the most, if not the most important recommendation because you ask at the top of our conversation, how did they lose their way? If the voices are not at the table, and I don't just mean you go outside, ask their opinion, and then come back in and filter it, athletes need to be sitting at the table. They are the primary constituent group. Without athletes, we don't have any representation, not from the U.S., not at the international game, not anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So the athletes must be taken care of. Their voices should be very prominent at that table. Just as you need the business people to run the organization, you need to get the athlete's perspective on whatever you're trying to change. Short story. When I had the privilege of leading the WNBA, I inherited things like the three-point shot and a 14-second offensive rebound clock. Those things did not come directly from business people. Athletes had voice, and there were three years' worth of data studying if the athletes could make a three-point shot and what would it take, where should we put the hash mark. Those types of inputs are critically important because you and I are very smart, but we're not shooting the basketball. We're not lacing up our sneakers and running up and down the hardwoods. So the people who actually are doing the action, taking the action on the field of play, on the mat, on the grass, wherever they are, they need to let you know what's happening on the field of play, right? And what's happening from their perspective. The same thing is true in corporate America and even in nonprofits. In corporate America, we call them target groups. And we use focus groups to get their perspective. When you govern a corporate, corporate entity, you have independent directors. So this model exists everywhere. It's not new. It just wasn't being followed at USOPC. We're talking today on Around the Rings Radio with Lisa Borders. She was the chair of the Borders Commission, which reviewed the operations of the U.S. Olympic Committee during the past year and come up with an extensive series of recommendations 
for change at the U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee. Um, how much more representation do athletes need on, on the USOPC? Today, I recall it's a 15-member board, and we recommended that a third of those positions, or five of those positions, be held by uh, athletes. We even were prescriptive in saying at least one of them should be a para-Olympian. The same rationale follows there. Uh, we recognize that there need to be independent directors. We understand there are IOC members that are required to be on the board. We took all of that into account. Now, someday, five years from now, two years from now, they may say, let's increase the size of the board. Who knows what they will say? The point is you need to have your primary constituent group have a significant and prevailing board. A few years ago, the decision was made to move the board of directors to more independent members. The sure. reasoning was, I'm not sure what the reasoning was today, but yeah. it, it's, it, it, it is a big change what you're proposing. It is. We don't question what was done. We weren't there five years ago or 10 years ago to hear what the discussion was and what the rationale was. But what we know is that we have devolved today to a situation that is not helpful to our athletes. And so we recommended that we course correct. And that means reconstituting the board per these recommendations. Um, the uh, board of directors includes as you say, International Olympic Committee members in the United States. The report mentions that conflicts of interest can occur, have occurred, mm -hmm. with IOC members making USOC decisions. In what ways are there conflicts? What, what should the IOC members not be involved with when making decisions? Anything that has the, an IOC member's personal or professional interests before the interests of the organization is a conflict. And so I don't want to be precise and call out anybody's name per se or their situation, but we very clearly said you should recuse yourself. You should not be voting on things where you or your family or your professional organization in some way benefits directly from the vote that you are about to make. And this has happened? It is my understanding that it has happened in the past. I am not familiar with exactly, I'm not on the board, have never been on the board, so I wasn't there, but there was rumor that this may have happened in the past. So we just wanted to call it out and say it should not happen, period, full stop. And what role should the IOC members play on, on the board? Right now, according to the voting formula, I believe it's they, IOC members, have one vote that's split among however many IOC members there are. We did not study that at all. We were much more focused on the athletes and the absence of their voices. There was no indication that there were challenges or problems with the IOC votes per se or how they voted or the formula. So that was beyond our purview. And there is an Athletes Advisory Council. There that, is. That, that rep represents the interests of, of the athletes. You're talking about something more than just giving the AAC more power. You're talking about integrating athletes into the, the fabric of the operation of, of U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee. Yeah, that's exactly right. We're actually talking about both. So you want to integrate the athletes into the fabric of the organization. We want them in the mosaic every day, all day long. At the same time, you want the 
uh, Athletes Advisory Council to be a strong voice. So we asked to have it reemerge as the voice of the athletes. We said you should give them support, financial and operational. We called that out, and it's actually an item on the recommendation table that says by date certain, we think that you should give them a budget so that they can hire administrative help, legal help, whatever it is they need, so that they too can focus on the policy concepts that they need to focus on and still get the administrative work done or the legal work done as as it might be. You have mentioned the Ted Stevens Act several times. That is the also known as the uh, U.S. Amateur Sports Act, passed in 1978 Correct. and is uh, named after the uh, Alaska senator who shepherded that legislation. Um, your group didn't start out expecting to make any recommendations about the, the Ted Stevens Act, but now you have a pretty substantial list of changes. What happened there that made you consider changing your your, your direction there. Sure, you're exactly correct. We walked into this project thinking that we would primarily be looking at bylaw changes or the board in terms of changing from the corporate model to the representative model. Uh, And those recommendations are all there and in place. But what we saw was an act that was written in 1978, as you clearly stated. It was amended in 1998. So that is the only time we are aware of that substantial change had been made to the act. So that was 20 years ago, almost a generation ago. The world has changed dramatically in 20 years, if not more, right? 1990, I guess it's almost 21 years. The world has changed dramatically. The world of sport has really changed. And so to have a stagnant act that didn't speak to whether it was dispute resolution or whatever, we thought this is an opportunity to go into the act and make sure that we bring it up to date to handle the challenges of today, but think really long and hard and give some thoughtful input on what could we do to ensure that this serves for another generation and then another commission can come and look at it in the future. So we did do what we call a markup to the Ted Stevens Act and we actually shared it as part of our recommendations. It's in the document. It has been delivered to Congress, and Congress now on the House side and the Senate side has had an opportunity to review it. They are in recess now, but we spent some time on the Hill actually debriefing congressional staff so we could make sure that they understood not only the recommendations, but offer any questions that they might have about our rationale or what we did study or didn't study and how we could, in fact, implement what is proposed. Uh, There is other legislation that's being proposed to uh, address some of these issues. Uh, What about, you know, what the Senate has proposed? I guess the House may come up with something as well. Uh, Are there two or three pieces of legislation out there, or is there one piece of legislation that needs to be created that covers all of this. Yeah, there's one that is has officially been dropped, is the term. Uh, Senators Moran and Blumenthal have issued or have dropped one piece of legislation, and that piece of legislation is interesting. It is frankly not as comprehensive as the Borders Commission would ask or would recommend. So let me give you an example. In the congressional oversight space, they ask for more information. 
than they're getting today. Today they are getting, call it a P&L, a Form 990, which is the IRS required form for nonprofits. We actually said, not only do you need the 990, you need to understand the inflows and the outflows of the dollars to whom they went, whether it was athletes or NGBs, as well as the calculations that drove those allocations. That's number one. Number two, remember we said you should have a chief compliance officer? We submit that you should have all the reports from the chief compliance officer. How well is the USOPC doing against the rules that they've put in place? How are the NGBs doing? How did SafeSport do on the abuse claims? Were they timely? Were they resolved? How's the diversity going at USOPC? Those are all reports that we said the chief compliance officer should help put the rules in place and should measure performance against those rules. Congress should get those reports. So it shouldn't just be a financial document. That tells you money's coming in and money's going out. There's not a whole lot of transparency or granularity on exactly what is going on. So if you want to put your finger on the pulse of what's happening, you should require more, and we said exactly what should be required. When we went to visit the congressional staffs, I have to say they were very welcoming, and they said, we dropped this legislation just before your report came out. We didn't realize your report was going to come out so soon, and so will you help us? Will you stay engaged and help us mark now the bill that we have in place? And of course, we said yes. We have no pride of authorship here. We want things to be better. So to the extent that they have a document that's not as comprehensive or as inclusive as it could be, we can help with that. Will there be interest, enough interest, enough motivation on the part of Congress to act, to do something with this legislation? Because there's always the danger that uh, other things come up and it goes by the wayside. Yeah, It's a fair point. We hope so. Uh, Looking at the mass shootings that just happened in El Paso and in Dayton, those are things that are dynamic and happen and are tragic. Not to mention the traditional things that you have to think about in a global economy. So we understand and recognize that there may be other domestic and international priorities that come up. But what was clear from the congressional staff members is that these two senators in particular, Moran and Blumenthal, were very moved by the gymnast impact statements when they came to Congress. So we are hoping not only them, but there's another bill. Uh, I think uh, the DeGette, and I forget the second congressperson's name, but that bill has not yet been formalized, I don't think, or dropped, as has Moran and Blumenthal. The point is at least four federally elected officials are focused in on this. On the House side, the Energy and Commerce Committee, as you might recall, did an investigation and did a report. The Commerce Committee in the Senate also did an investigation and have just recently, last month I think, or maybe it was this month, dropped their report. So it is on the radar screen, for lack of a better term, and our commitment is, as a commission, that we will continue to help as long as we are asked. The, the legislation in the Senate proposes that the U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee could be disbanded if, if it fails to protect athletes. Should the government have that kind of control? I do not think so. I completely disagree with that piece of the legislation. Uh, we recommended certain 
performance metrics for all of these entities, but the government is not in the business of running a sports organization. They're in the business of running a government. And from time to time, they sometimes have trouble with that. We end up with government shutdowns. So I do not think they should be in the business of disbanding the board. I think they should be in the business of setting the performance. This is what the board should do. This is what the USOPC should do. That's what the Ted Stevens Act says. But should they be operating it every day and setting parameters for disbanding it? No. And let's be clear. It causes a problem with the IOC for there to be too much government interference. Is it Spain now that's got a question going on about too much interference? Um, That would be... um, Or is it Italy? I couldn't Italy Italy, um, has legislation that would give the government control over the Olympic Committee, more control over the uh, Olympic Organizing Committee for the uh, 2026 Olympics. So I disagree with that portion of the legislation. I think it is well-intentioned, but it is ill-placed. Should the government provide money to the U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee there, there's a limit on the resource. Even, even with all the millions that the U.S. Olympic Committee makes, it's right. probably the wealthiest of all national Olympic committees. It still doesn't have all the resources it needs to do all that it should. Can the government help? My recommendation would be, and we said this not just from me but from the Borders Commission, that the government should fund safe sport. It's an unfunded mandate today. If you really believe that the safety of athletes is at risk and you have put this mechanism in place, which we agree is a great mechanism, USOPC is the sole funder today, uh, and we believe they should be a funder. They should not be the funder. When you look at the issues of abuse of athletes, it doesn't begin and end with elite athletes. You have only to look at Penn State or Ohio State or frankly, the Catholic Church or the Boy Scouts. This is a societal issue. And so there are other players who, and I don't mean athlete players, other stakeholders, let me call it that, in the sports landscape who should also be giving money or supporting safe sport. But if I were to invite the government today, we would invite the government to support safe sport. You're, you're the former president of the Women's National Basketball Association. Did this give you any particular perspective on dealing with this USOC situation? It absolutely gave me perspective. Having the privilege of leading the WNBA and working with 144 of the finest athletes in the world who happen to be women uh, gave me terrific perspective. Uh, I listened to my athletes on a regular basis. I had all of their cell phone numbers. They all had my cell phone number, whether it was wishing them a happy birthday or asking them about changing a rule or changing how we ran the W. I was always soliciting support from my players. I am no longer the president, but I still reach out to my athletes when they are hurt, when they are having a birthday, when I need advice. I'm a person who believes that a good idea can come from anywhere. It doesn't have to come from someone older than you or someone who's already done something you haven't done. It's surprising when you listen to young people, the great ideas that they can bring you. Uh, The U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee says it has made substantial changes since all of this started happening. Um, 
in the past year. There's a new CEO starting this year, a new chairman of the board. Um, what's, your, what's your assessment of how it's going? Is the U.S. OPC making changes? Yes. Not only are they making changes, they are absolutely on the right track for not only commissioning our group, but also taking steps like supporting SafeSmort and embracing it wholly. Uh, I am really, really impressed with Sarah Hirschland and Suzanne Lyons, who are CEO and chairman of the board, respectively. They inherited not the best of situations, but they are cleaning it up day by day. They are admitting where mistakes have been made, which is the first step to fixing a problem, is recognizing that you have it, acknowledging it, then addressing it, acting on it. They are doing all of those things. I mean, you found a number of uh, points that need to be changed, some bad things going on with the U.S. Olympic Committee. Yeah. How about good things? You know, amidst all of this, are there good things happening? at the USOPC. There are good things happening, and I would encourage uh, you to talk with Sarah and talk with Suzanne. They can give you even more specifics than me, but let me start with a couple. Uh, One of the things we talked about most specifically was the athlete-centric piece of all of this, right? So the money for medals, the operational MO, if you will, of the USOPC has already been renounced. And Sarah and the staff have said no more of that. We lost our way using that strategy. We want to come back to the athletes being the focal point. We want to make sure that when we compensate people, not just their base pay, but their bonuses, that we have it be commensurate with performance in terms of supporting athletes. So Sarah will be able to give you more details on how she did that and why she did that. But that's a huge step in the right direction, making sure that the athletes feel that they are being protected, served, and advanced. Those three words, athlete-centric first, but that athletes are always protected, served, and advanced, was sort of our MO as the Borders Commission as we talked about all of the changes that we might recommend that should be the filter through which we look at everything. With, with Tokyo coming yes. uh, less than a year from now, you know, in the past, people asked the U.S. Olympic Committee, how are you going to do on the medals in Tokyo? Mm-hmm. How, how are the medals going to be in, in Beijing for the U.S.? Is that appropriate anymore? It is appropriate, but you must have a better balance. You can't have one over the other. They work in tandem. If you do not have healthy athletes, and we know this from a physical standpoint, right? We always think about if their muscles aren't toned, if their body fat isn't a certain amount, that they won't do well, right? The same is true of their mental health and their psychological health. If they are experiencing abuse of any description, it's not going to work long term. So Yes, it's appropriate, but it cannot be the only thing that's important. It cannot be. The people come first, and when they are healthy, top to bottom, left to right, the medals will follow. I'm looking at the list of major recommendations that you've made uh, from the Borders Commission, um, including the hiring a compliance officer. That's supposed to happen December this year. Uh, Other you have a complete timetable here, including re- yes. replacement of a U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee board. That's right. How is, how, how, 
these are recommendations. Yes. What's going to happen to them? Will some of them be adopted, not all of them? Do you have a role to play in making sure that some of these are, are paid attention to and, and enacted? Right. This was a labor of love for the Borders Commission, but we are a panel of independent folks making recommendations to the USOPC. Our work was technically complete when we turned in our report on July the 17th. What we have said is that we hand it over to you. If you have questions, USOPC, please feel free to ask us and we will step in at any point. But we don't have authority, Ed. That authority resides with the USOPC board. What we found when we talked with the board and we have briefed them formally is that they were incredibly receptive to all of the points that we were making. The reason we laid out a timetable is because we realized this was a lot that we studied, and it was a lot of recommendations. We had to prioritize them because you cannot do everything all at once. You end up not getting anything done. So the reason you see the dates and the years and the specificity is we wanted to lead by example. If we're going to tell the USOPC, you've got to prioritize, you've got to put dates and time certain and hire these experts. We wanted to do the same thing, give them an actual roadmap as to how to get it done. They're busy running the organization every day. So this was our consulting engagement, for lack of a better term. But we have influence. We do not have authority. Our hope and expectation is that they will take all of those recommendations and that they will attempt to get them all done in due course. Uh, Have you gotten any pushback on any of these proposals? We have not. No pushback whatsoever. This this report came out in July. Um, The U.S. Olympic Committee, Paralympic Committee, Board of Directors next meets in, I think, September. September. Is the General Assembly? Will will you be reporting to them? Will you be talking to the board about what's happening here? Yeah, we will not be reporting to the board. The board has received not only the Borders Commission work, there was an NGB council that did a substantial amount of work. Uh, And there was one other group, if I'm not mistaken. But the point is, all of those reports are going to be rolled up, I think, and presented to the Olympic movement community at one time at the General Assembly in Colorado Springs in September. Um, Everything, does everything have to be approved at once or can it be, we'll take care of this this time and then we'll deal with um, the Ted Stevens Act, we'll deal with preparing congressional reports at another time? I don't know. I'm not familiar, because I'm not on the board, as to how they proceed, if they will adopt all at once and say, we'll do this over time, but we're going to adopt the plan. I don't know how they will do that. They are already, just as a reminder, reporting to Congress and filling out the Form 990. But what we are asking them to do, of course, is an enhanced version, not only of the 990, but add some additional reports on the basis of the hire of the chief compliance officer. So again, our hope and expectation is that they will adopt the Borders Commission work, body of work, in whole, and that they will attack it month by month, piece by piece. Apart from these direct issues involved with the the Borders Report, I'm just kind of curious to get your opinion, if you can share it. Sure. Um, Last weekend during the Pan Am Games, two U.S. athletes 
um, made silent protests during the playing of the national anthem, mm-hmm. during the medal ceremony. These expressions are banned by the IOC as well as the USOPC. Um, what do you think about that? Is it is it appropriate? And what should the U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee do about a situation like that? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and I would take you back, Ed, to my first season at the WNBA, and I had athletes protest in the very same way. They wore different shirts from their uh, required shooting shirts uh, during warm-ups, and we ended up actually fining the athletes, which is the traditional thing that you do. When your shirt's not tucked in or when you do something inappropriate, you get fined. What happens in a professional league, and this is very much similar to USOPC and IOC, is things automatically happen when you do something that's considered inappropriate. So that's what happened at the WNBA. The fines just automatically happened. After two weeks of talking to the athletes and thinking through this and realizing we're in a new day, athletes have been activists since 1960s. You can go back to the 60s and the Olympics where people were protesting. It is a formal platform that these athletes have when they win medals, when they attend, when they compete, and certainly when they win. I do not think it's inappropriate. This is something that IOC and USOPC are gonna have to deal with. I do not think it's inappropriate. According to the rules, it is inappropriate today. This is another set of rules that I think has not been evaluated in the dynamic of the world in which we live. So there might be, in your view, a way, a means for athletes to express themselves. That's exactly right. We rescinded those fines at the WNBA. So I'll bring you back to our athletes protested as a team. They're the first team in history to protest. Individuals have protested, whether it was Tommy Smith or Muhammad Ali. Individual people have done it in individual sports no team that I was aware of had ever done it. So there was no other president or commissioner or league that I could look to as president of the W at that time and get guidance. We took the lead and I reversed the fines and I remember people telling me no commissioner has ever done this. No president has ever done this. You're going to take the bullet for everybody. And I said, and the alternative is to continue to do the wrong thing? and not allow these athletes to express themselves, I'll take the bullet. And I took it. So if you Google me, you will find that fines were imposed, and I was the person that took full responsibility and rescinded those fines. After talking with my athletes, my primary constituent group, after recognizing what was going on was not appropriate, young African-American men were losing their lives in communities across the country, The Dallas police officers had been shot. It was a horrific time. We continue with that same situation today. So before Colin Kaepernick kneeled, the women of the WNBA took a stand. And I stand behind and beside our athletes. I think the IOC and the USOPC might want to study this and do likewise. Finally, you've gotten to see the the good, the bad, the ugly to say about the U.S. Olympic movement, the Olympic movement in general. Uh, what's, your, what's your 
viewpoint of the future. Is, is the Olympics still a, a relevant event, a relevant movement for young people to follow today? Absolutely. Sports is an international language. There are only two, sports and music. The world is a really intense and crazy place right now. Sports is a unifying force, an international language that we can all speak. You don't need to know a word of the language. You can sit beside someone and be rooting for the other team or the other athlete, but you are rooting for sports. And so I think there's an invaluable role that not only USOPC and IOC and all their uh, compatriots around the world can play, because we are in such a divisive time, sports is a unifier. So I not only am optimistic, I am enthusiastic about the Olympics and the Olympic and Paralympic movements. My thought is, like all things, they require attention and focus and evaluation on an ongoing basis to make sure that you are on the right track. From time to time, we all get in the ditch, but tomorrow is a new day and you have an opportunity to get back on track and get it done. And our athletes are getting it done and we need to support them as they lead us to a new day. And athletes feel that they have been shortchanged, given short shrift uh, by the Olympic movement in the United States. Um, Simone Biles last week said, we've done everything you asked us to do. That's right. And now it's your turn. We have unfortunately subordinated their voices. And what this report says is elevate their voices. Put them at the heart of everything that you do, and we will be back on track. Period. Full stop. Lisa Borders, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you, Ed. It's been my pleasure as well. We've been talking with Lisa Borders, chairman of the Borders Commission, the group that evaluated U.S. Olympic Committee policies, procedures over the past year, and a very substantial list of recommendations for changes have resulted. Uh, thanks for joining us on this edition of Around the Rings Radio. I'm Ed Hula. For more than 25 years, your best source of news about the Olympics is aroundtherings.com. <laughs>